The reading tonight is from Book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 to 39. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and we had, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was four thousand, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. This is the word of God. Good evening, my name is Matt, one of the ministers here. Very good to have you here. Um, well done for making it through the rain and everything. Now we're in Matthew chapter 15. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you that in your word we uh, meet the real Jesus of history. And whether uh, we're used to him, whether we know him uh, or not, uh, we pray that you would surprise us uh, afresh as we meet him again this evening. Help us by your spirit, we cry out to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we all have a criteria for who gets in and who stays out. And I think most of our uh, criteria, certainly my 
personal experience, um, I'm pretty, pretty blind to the fact that I tend to think that I'm the one who should be in and others should be out. I noticed this personally in myself, um, this principle when uh, a few months ago I was catching a flight. And uh, I'm one of those people, I have to be honest, who slightly wings it. You think, I'll just spend a bit more time in duty-free, it's quite nice. So I always think that security is not going to be the massive heaving mass that it always is but I think you know on this occasion I thought it'd be fine security be okay I'll, uh, I'll I'll get through it got to security it was a nightmare um, eventually you wrestle your way through there and you know what it's like you get up and you see the, the screen and it was uh, saying at this stage um, the flight is boarding at that moment you hope that the gate is near on this occasion it was gate 67 I mean it was the other end of the airport and uh, so you're running you're shouting um, you know man coming through or whatever you shout in those occasions I don't know you you're making stuff up at that stage. Just man coming through, through, through you come eventually, uh, you know, sweating. It was a hot day. Um, I got to the, uh, I got to the desk and they were, they were closing it down. I put my best sort of pleading face on. Um, the bus was about to leave to go out to the plane and she had pity on me. Uh, I got onto the bus, uh, and I stood there and I breathed a huge, uh, sigh of, uh, relief. I was in, uh, by the mercy of this, uh, lady. And then this is what happened next. I stood there, and uh, we were all standing there on the bus. It was, uh, it was a hot day. We were getting hotter. Uh, I was hot. Everyone else was hot. And um, I noticed that there were some people who were just um, still coming uh, onto, the, uh, onto the queue. They were still fighting their way in. And this was the thought that went through my head. The very thought that went through my head was, they should never allow people onto the bus who are late. As you go, <laughs> it just popped into my head like that. I was just sad. I was grumpy. I was thinking, I'm hard, fed up, personal space is being invaded. They should never allow people onto the bus who are late, was my first thought. And then I caught myself. I thought, what an idiot. <laughs> what an absolute idiot. You see, I have rules for myself. I get in by the mercy of this kind lady. But others, others, they stay on the outside. No, I think we all, I don't know, maybe it is just me, but we all do that in certain areas. Who gets in and who stays out? And it's an important question when we come to this passage this evening. Because the question is, who has Jesus come for? Who did Jesus Christ come into the world for? Who gets in and who stays out? And I don't know what you think about that question. I mean, are there some people? Does the thought pop into your head? Are there some people who are beyond the pale? You might be sitting here thinking, well, that's me. I'm beyond the pale. God would never be interested in me. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, there are some people who frankly are beyond the pale, beyond the interest of Jesus Christ. I don't know, anyone who's been to prison? Uh, The paparazzi, police killers, those people. There are some people who are just the worst of the worst, who are beyond redemption, beyond the interest of the God of the universe. Well, let's see two things as we come to this passage this evening and see that, first of all, Jesus has come for the unclean. And secondly, Jesus provides for the unclean. So let's pick it up, this great story, verse 21. Jesus has come for the unclean. We'll spend most of our time on this point. Now, we know from last week, if you were here, that Jesus has said that all of us have unclean hearts because of our sin. We saw that in verse 18. We're told by Jesus that the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. So we've been told that we're all unclean because of our hearts, but there would have been going around at that time a deeply held belief that you could be unclean based on 
well, where you were born, the sort of religious background you had, your ethnicity. That would have been going around. And so Jesus, in this passage, shows that he has come for all of the unclean, those that people would consider outwardly unclean, just as much as those who Jesus says all of us are unclean. And he does that by going, verse 21, into a different region, the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you like uh, maps, you could turn to the back of your Bible and just spot this on the, the map, two pages from the back of your Bible, the map section. And if you look on any of these maps that has the Mediterranean on the left-hand side and you follow your way up the coast, you will spot these two towns, Tyre and Sidon. And they are northwest of the Sea of Galilee. And the significant thing is that they are Gentile territory. A short distance, maybe 30 miles, but spiritually you could not go further away from the heartland of the Jewish nation, from Jerusalem and Galilee. And yet Jesus goes there. And we're told that there he meets a Canaanite woman. Now Matthew uses that word Canaanite deliberately. He's writing particularly his uh, gospel for people from a Jewish background. And he uses that word to emphasize that this lady was from the tribe of the Canaanites who were one of the historical enemies of the people of God. And so here is a woman who is unclean. And morally, we all know that, but everyone's thinking as well, she's ceremonially unclean, this lady. And yet, do you see that Jesus has come for the unclean? At the end of these verses, we see that. Jesus has come for the unclean. Now, granted, it doesn't look like that as we go through this story at first, because we see her approach, then his apparent rebuff, and then her request. Let's just follow those through. There's her approach. And her approach is different to the Pharisees, the guys we saw in the last chapter, who came to Jesus as the people of God's promise to stand over Jesus. So they came and they challenged Jesus. They came to confront him. But she comes from outside of God's promises and she asks for mercy. A very different approach. Someone would say, well, of course you would, wouldn't you? If your daughter was in trouble, you'd say anything. Well, there's a desperation in this as this uh, lady's daughter is suffering. But there's a recognition about who Jesus is as well in verse 22. She recognizes him as Lord, son of David, the promised king of Israel. And she approaches him and bows before him. So there's her approach But then there's his apparent rebuff. And I don't know, as we heard that read for us, whether you were just thinking, Jesus, what are you, Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, uh, my daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. She keeps crying out. Jesus says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. She comes and kneels before him. Lord, help me. And he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Not many faced the silence of Jesus, and yet she did. This woman. The disciples have said, send her away. Send her away, she's bothering us. She just keeps hounding us. I mean, we can't even go into the local McDonald's and get food. She's just everywhere. Will you just send her away? And Jesus doesn't. He doesn't send her away. And yet his words seem confusing. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. 
as I've wrestled with these verses this week, questions that have come up have been this. First of all, I thought that Jesus was sent to all people. doesn't seem to be saying that. What's going on there? I thought he was the saviour of the world. Is he saying that or not? My other question is, can I just check? Has, has Jesus just said of the Gentiles that they're dogs? Can I just check that? Is that what's going on here? There's my two questions. Let me just say something on, on each. We know that Jesus came into the world as the saviour of people who would come to him, the saviour of the world. He was sent for all. The cross of Jesus Christ is unrestricted for those who trust in him. Anyone can come and trust in him. But it does seem that the teaching and healing ministry of Jesus Christ, the teaching and healing ministry of him, did seem to have a restricted area and focus. So he went first of all uh, into Jewish areas. He taught in those. And I think the use of the word send in Matthew uh, bears that out, that it had a restricted mission. But of course it was, pause, it was restricted in one sense because, I mean, he never went to Rome. He never went to Athens. So it was, it was restricted geographically. Of course, he'd reach Rome and Athens and the people in those cities through his cross. That was the focus of his mission. It was the real focus of his mission. But in his teaching and healing ministry, he never reached those places. And his focus was especially on the historic people. Of course, he'd reached the Gentiles. He'd reached all people through the cross. They could all come to him. But there was a particular focus to his ministry to the Jewish nation, the people of the promises. And that is why Jesus says in this odd parable, verse 26, It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Saying, think of a family situation, a kitchen table. Children and little dogs and the scraps on the floor. Now, he's not not being rude to this lady and calling, you know, he's not saying to this lady, "You're you're a dog. But he is saying of people outside of the promises, look, you're reliant on scraps. God has made promises. And the And the point is, do you see your place? The promises through God's people are for the world, but do you see that you they don't come by rights to people? We're outside of his promises. So that's his rebuff to her. But notice then her response. Notice her response, verse 27. And it's an extraordinary moment. She says... Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Do you notice she doesn't say, how dare you call us dogs? We have rights. I have needs. And I hate the idea of a covenant. Notice she doesn't say that. She says, give me crumbs. Look, Lord, I accept my place. None of us deserve your mercy. None of us deserve, none of us come claiming our place in your historical story. All of us. This is a woman acknowledging what all of us need to acknowledge. All of us come just on the basis of mercy, not on the basis of rights. And so she accepts her place and she asks for help. Give me crumbs. And she wins for her daughter, healing. And she opens the door for anyone, 
Many of us here, most of us here, I guess, would be Gentiles. This is the foot in the door, so to speak. The foot in the door in history from which the door was flung open for anyone to come in. Now, I take it that Jesus is drawing that faith out of her. Is there a twinkle in his eyes? He pushes her on this. I don't know. We're not told. But something draws out faith in her, draws out this response that Jesus is, is longing that she would have. So the threefold refusal, I take it is just to draw out her response of faith. And I think there are certain things in the passage that make it clear that that's exactly what Jesus wants. That he's thrilled, he's not reluctant that she would respond in this way. For a start, he builds this trip to Tyre and Sidon into his itinerary. He goes outside of that. He turns away from the historic people and goes outside to a different area. And next... He heals her daughter. And then in the next few sentences, he heals thousands of Gentiles as they gather round on this mountaintop. And you have to say that in the sweep of 2,000 years of historic Jewish history, he doesn't take much persuading in one sense. This is the greatest debater of his day, debating against the Pharisees, and yet a Canaanite lady in a conversation with him, unlocks the door and Jesus feeds in a Gentile territory in the next verses. So I take it that Jesus is drawing that response of faith out of her. That's what he's looking for. Let me put it like uh, this. I I, I think this is about right that the crown jewels, if you've been to see them in the Tower of London, are worth £2.5 billion or something like that. Huge amount of money you might have uh, been to see that. To go and see uh, the crown jewels in the Tower of London, you have to uh, beat all of the tourists, get in the queue early, then you have to get through security, you have to get through another line of security, you have to get past everything else, and eventually you get in there and all of the alarms are there. There's this enormous uh, bulletproof, I imagine, case, and in the middle are the crown jewels. The message is clear. Uh, we're keeping this under lock and key. It's very important to us as a nation. Don't come near. Stay away. Stay back. That's the message. Now imagine that... Um, the queen one day um, woke up on a whim and said, let's try something different today. I want my people to see these important uh, relics, these crowns. And so we're going to do something different. We're going to put them for a week. We'll put them for a week in Trafalgar Square. And we'll put, um, they're not going to do it, are they? We'll put um, just a small glass case uh, around them with a, I don't know, a little a combination lock on, on the outside or something. Now, what would we do? What's the message then if she did that? She's not going to do it. What would be the message? She'd be asking for it. She'd be saying, go on, have a go. Go on, do you want some crown jewels? Go on, take different message, isn't it? Now, do you see, Jesus, in going into Gentile territory, he's asking for it. If you could put it like that. He's asking for it. And this lady, if you like, she goes up and she picks the combination lock and it springs open. And she does a smash and grab job on the historic promises of God's people. But do you see that Jesus Christ, he's thrilled. Verse 28, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Need his arm twisting. He's drawing out faith, yes. But he loves it that this lady historic enemy of the people of God is blessed and her daughter too. 
Now, how does this apply to us? Lots of us would think that God has kept his blessings under lock and key. I don't know how you'd come to it this evening. It might sound like this. Maybe you say, he can't be interested in me or him or her because. And then the reasons start, don't they? He can't be interested in me because I don't know my way around the Bible. I mean, I found the map page, but not much beyond that. He can't be interested in her because she hardly comes to church. Or he can't be interested in me because, well, do you remember what Jesus said in verse 18, verse 19? Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. That's me. And then I know it. I'm unclean. He can't be interested in me. Or him. He's got no Christians in his ancestors. Uh, Her. She had an abortion. He. He's a gambler. Me. I'm not a virgin. I never come to church. God can't be interested in me. And yet do you see that God in Jesus Christ has, if you like, put the crown jewels of heaven on offer in the frailty of Jesus Christ on earth. And he wants you. He wants you to come and do a smash and grab job. Yes, we have to come to Jesus, his son. Yes, we recognize him as Lord. Yes, we have to accept our place as not worthy. But he says, oh, won't you? Oh, won't you? Won't you come to all of the promises that are available? Jesus has come. He's come for the unclean. Okay, but secondly, what's he come to do for the unclean? Well, secondly, let's see in the second part of this, that Jesus provides for the unclean. And we see in these verses that he heals and he feeds. He heals, verse 29 to 31. And then he feeds. So he heals just as God promised. Let me read some verses from Isaiah 35. Don't need to turn to them. It promised that God would open the eyes of the blind. The ears of the deaf would be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So God promised that one day he'd heal and we've seen him doing that in Matthew so far. And yet here he's in a different region, a three-day healing campaign in Gentile territory. Miracles, these promises of Isaiah 35 cracked open for anyone, for the Gentiles, just as the Jews But as the story goes on, of course, there's a problem. There's no food. And so, secondly, Jesus feeds, verses 32 to 39, just as Moses did for God's people in the wilderness. Just as Moses did in the Old Testament, bountiful provision for his people. But if you're observant, you'll notice, just flick back a page, page 981, that Jesus has done this just before. Jesus feeds the 5,000. And uh, as you look through this, it's almost exactly the same. The numbers are slightly different. But the point is there are two parallel feedings. There's a feeding of 5,000 in Jewish territory and there's a feeding, a corresponding feeding, uh, mirror language being used in the second bit uh, in Gentile territory. So the difference is location, Gentile territory. And do you see in verse 31, that these people praise the God of Israel. See, it's very important to establish this because I guess people might think, well, 
You know, Jesus calls in the, the Gentiles. Yeah, we get that. But maybe he, what he gives to them is second best. Maybe he's, you know, got something special for, um, his historic people. And now he's going to give, you know, just second best to the people. You know, he, he used the language of scraps. So maybe that's what's going on. Well, Jesus does a parallel feeding to show that he cares for them. I don't know if you remember that, uh, Jamie Oliver program. It's a food revolution where he goes into, uh, the USA. He's trying to turn things around uh, there. And he goes into you know, poor areas of, of New York. So he goes into the, the Bronx and he puts on um, you know, a feast for the children. Now, of course, they're all recipes that he's done in his um, kitchen in London or whatever it is. They're all dishes that he's done before. And he's done them in top restaurants. But there was a real insistence, if you saw that program, a real insistence that when I'm putting something before these kids. I won't, I'm not going to scrimp and save. I want them to have the best. I want them to have good nutrition. I want to care for them. I want them to know that I'm not treating them as sort of second rate. I'm going to do the same stuff for them. And here in the life of Jesus, Jesus is laying out the same quality of food to show that all people matter. That those who would have thought that they were unclean far beyond the promises of God can be part of his banquet. And be provided for by him. And so it's his compassion, verse 32, that drives him. Jesus calls his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. So his motive, his compassion, his provision in the next bit is abundant. There they are in a remote desert and these lost Gentiles, outside of the promises, not in the covenanted promises of God's people, Jesus Christ had compassion on them and provided for them abundantly so that we're told, verse 37, they ate and they were satisfied. And of course, caring for someone's food, caring for someone's diet, is a way of caring for them showing a deep way of caring about someone else. Many of us would know that in, in London. I mean, we, many of us live with you know, empty fridges. Some of your students, you just moved to London and you're now facing the prospect of cooking for yourselves. It's quite depressing. And someone invites you around for a meal or someone says, can I fill up your fridge? It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful gesture. Well, you know what it's like? Your mum gets on the phone and your mum says, um, are you eating well enough? And uh, you know, you know that she cares. You know that she cares. Sometimes you, you just try and fob her off. You say, I've, uh, I've eaten pasta. She says, have you had anything with it? You say, um, yeah, pasta with sauce. Um, you know it was tomato sauce. You're not going to tell her that. Um, but when she does it, there's, there's a care behind it. Are you eating well enough? Now, you're so used to it because it's her job. In one sense, it's, it's just what mothers do for their children. But it's more striking when someone who's not meant to care for you cares for you in that way. Someone cares for you and feeds you. It's a way of caring for you at a deep level. So when I was 18 years old, I set off to Africa for a year. It was a crazy thing to do. I got there. I thought this is a, a year is a very long time. And uh, within two weeks' time, I realized I really don't know how to cook and I don't like baked beans. And I've had a lot of baked beans in the last two weeks and it's pretty depressing. And I can still remember the first... I, I think it was the closest I've ever come to crying over a loaf of bread. Um, <laughs> Uh, I came back from school after two weeks, had baked beans for a couple of weeks, and uh, there was a missionary lady down the road called Amy Jo Shearer. I'll never forget her name. She was a wonderful, wonderful 
lady. I came home from school one afternoon and, uh, and there uh, on the porch, still warm, was a home-baked loaf of bread. I almost burst into tears in front of it because what, what's going on there? It's not just that I really like bread, although so it's okay. What's going on there is a lady who's a stranger to me, doesn't really know me, was saying to me, and she asked me a number of times in the rest of the year, are you eating well enough? Are you eating well enough? I'm worried for you. Have you had enough vegetables? And when someone does that who knows you, of course it's it's lovely. When someone who's a stranger to you, for whom it's not their their job or their remit, when when someone does that for you, they're caring for you at a deep level when they provide for you. That's the difference, if you like, between a covenant relationship and a non-covenant relationship. Uh, your mum is covenanted to care for you. Amy Jo Shearer was not. And yet, she did. And the God of the God of the Old Testament, he covenanted, he brought some people into a covenant, he covenanted to care for them. And yet, here we see Jesus Christ, who is not, in one sense, covenanted, made a promise to the people in these verses, providing for all people. He's not meant to care for everyone, is he? Well, yes, he does. That's what people thought. They thought God's not meant to care for these people, is he? And yet he does. Jesus Christ came into the world as the saviour of all people. And he provides, and it is abundant. They eat, they're satisfied, it's a feast. There are 4,000 men, we're told, but add women and children, 10,000 people, I don't know. 10,000 people, all fed, all satisfied from nothing in a wilderness. It's a feast, it's a miracle, it's a banquet for these people. It's as it's as if God is saying to all people, are you eating well enough? I'm worried for you. That's what Jesus is saying in these verses. And some of us here would know. I mean, I'm a, from a Gentile background. I'm an un, unclean Gentile. And I have found that the God of the universe in Jesus Christ is not given to us, to me, second rate. He's given us full rights in Jesus Christ to the banquet, a place at the banquet of God. And so can I say, if you wouldn't call yourself one of God's people this evening, God says to you, if you like, in Jesus Christ, are you eating well enough? I'm worried for you. I have compassion for you. That's why I've come into the world. I want you to come to my banquet. I know that many people would think outwardly you're unclean. I mean, I know deeper than that, says Jesus Christ. I know that inwardly we're all unclean. And yet I've still come to go to the cross and spread a table before you to put on a banquet for you. Biblically, that's what Jesus Christ does from the cross. He provides for people, not just physical food, but spiritual food, deep down satisfaction. Not just food that spoils, verse 37, but food that lasts. Jesus Christ says, I want to look after you if you'll let me. Now, just as we close, we look to lots of other places, don't we, for deep down provision. We look to Facebook to provide social acceptance, and yet we feel more insecure than ever sometimes on that. We look to career to open up freedom, and yet sometimes we just feel more hemmed in. We look to a relationship to sort everything out, but it's complicated. Well, come again this evening to the one who says to you, Are you eating well enough? 
I'm concerned for you, so concerned that I went to the cross so that you'd eat well forever in my banquet. We're going to share the Lord's Supper in a minute. Of course, it points back to Jesus' death on the cross, his body broken for us, blood spilt for us. We remember it in a meal. But of course, that points us forward to the meal that's still to come, this banquet, that this just gives us a little foretaste of. It'll be a banquet where people from every background will be gathered. Those who everyone thought were very clean, but realized that they weren't and trusted in Jesus. Those who everyone thought were very unclean, and knew they weren't, and trusted in Jesus. People from every tribe, nation, tongue. This lady, she'll be there as well. This Canaanite lady who trusted in Jesus Christ. So do you see, we all have a criteria for who's in and who's out. But Jesus has come for the unclean. For those who know that they are, who kneel at his fate and say to Jesus Christ, Jesus, give me crumbs. I don't deserve a place at your table, but give me crumbs. And what crumbs they were, Jesus put on a banquet. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus, thank you that he uh, came and didn't uh, hang back from those who uh, were unclean, whose hearts he saw. He didn't hang back from those that uh, others put on the outside of their religious circles or who everyone said had messed up too much. Father, we thank you that uh, he came, he drew out faith, And he put on a banquet. And we pray that uh, we would know ourselves, know our place before you as undeserving. And yet see that you've, um, you've come so that the undeserving might feed with you and feast with you. And we thank you for that in his name. Amen.